I think the student makes the experience. The college doesn't form the student. And while the college does have a responsibility to provide students with an education and a foundation in learning, I think that it's a part of the student's responsibility to take advantage of everything that the college has to offer. Howdy everyone, I'm Corbin Gregg. And I'm Kate Galliford. On today's episode of Retrospect, we check in again with Katrina Lambert, news editor for The Observer and one of our very favorite guests to have on the show, for a final chat about Fordham's reopening plans in the wake of COVID-19 before the semester officially starts. We also discuss our own plans for the semester and what to expect from the podcast this fall. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. We are joined now, once again, by Katrina Lambert, the news editor for the Fordham Observer. Kate and I spoke to her earlier in the summer about Fordham's reopening plans in response to the pandemic. And now seems like a good time to circle back and explain what the Fordham experience will be like this semester. Katrina, thanks for keeping up with Fordham's plans and coming on Retrospect today. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. Thank you for having me again. So last time we spoke was for our June 18th episode. And back then, New York still had the most cases in the United States. And obviously since then, things have changed quite a bit. New York is now trailing behind California, Florida, and Texas in terms of case counts. Even though this sounds like it should be good news for Fordham in terms of reopening and getting students safely on campus, what with cases surging across the country and states constantly being added to quarantine lists, what are some of the newest challenges that Fordham's facing when it comes to reopening? I think Fordham, like a lot of other New York schools, is going to have to struggle with bringing students back from other parts of the country and internationally all to one tiny space and hope that everybody is on the same page in terms of what they're expected to do and that one mistake doesn't end up causing a huge you know, domino effect and another upsurge in New York City as a whole. Yeah, so part of bringing back students from either international locations or definitely many locations in the United States is the fact that they have to quarantine. So you recently published a piece detailing different ways that students are quarantining off campus prior to the start of the semester. What are some of the logistical and financial difficulties students are experiencing while complying with these quarantine guidelines? And were there any specific experiences or stories you heard while interviewing students that stood out to you in particular? Um, I know that a lot of the students I talked to that were expected to quarantine, at least two out of the three that uh, were in the article, they were lucky enough to find alternatives to hotels, which is kind of rare, I guess, like to have a family member in New York that you can quarantine with. They have to, first of all, be willing to put up with a quarantine. So you cannot interact with that person. You know, you have to be alone. They have to provide you meals and you have to have a space and be willing to stay there. So some students are able to get quarantines outside of the quarantine states, but one student decided to do the hotel and was able to find a hotel in New York City. But financially, like having a hotel in New York City for 14 days is extremely expensive. It was a huge upsurge in price that you would have to be paying for that 14 days. And even the list of hotels that the university provided was like their generic list of hotels that they kind of send out if there's any sort of big event that they're having students from other places come to to stay at Fordham. 
and half of the hotels on there like weren't even operating like they weren't accepting reservations until after September which that's not going to do you any good because then your state might as well just be off the list at that point you don't really know so yeah it was interesting to see kind of the thought that went into giving this list of hotels and whatnot and then in addition to that um, you have to be able to have meals supplied to you. You have to have running water. There's a lot of like stress that goes into quarantining in general, let alone quarantining in a foreign area. Like if you're staying at a hotel and they stop providing room service, that's an issue, you know, because then you're, how are you going to eat? And you don't want to, you're not allowed to be going out and getting yourself food. So somebody has to be bringing you these things. So yeah, I mean, then there's like the emotional burden of it being isolated for 14 days is not really fun for anybody. And obviously, and during the pandemic, none of this is fun. So you kind of have to put up with a little bit of stress. But if there was some sort of like ability to quarantine in selected areas, like Fordham made a deal with some like one hotel and was putting up rooms or something like that, I think it would have alleviated a lot of stress if there was like a better list of hotels that were actually operable. Or if the guidelines were able to happen on campus, that would have been great. But I don't think that that's necessarily Fordham's fault because the New York State guidelines, they need a private bathroom and they just do not have the capacity to supply a private bathroom to all students returning. But yeah, overall, the stress of trying to book a hotel last minute because, you know, you would have to be in quarantine at least 14 days before returning to campus. Um, And so that puts you out around August 10th to 15th or so. And it was like, last minute booking plus trying to travel out to there because students were coming in from California and that's a flight and it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of stress traveling and during a pandemic makes it no easier. Another thing that we touched a little bit about in June and that has changed quite a bit since then is the hybrid models and the idea of asynchronous classes and that sort of class format that was being proposed by Fordham. And I think since then, a lot of students have heard from the university itself, but also in more individual communication from professors, whether or not their classes are going to be online. And I know of several students, uh, Corbin and myself included, who are all of our classes are scheduled to be online and totally virtual with none of the hybrid elements that Fordham proposed. Is that something that Fordham maybe didn't anticipate? Is the number of students and professors that were going to elect to be virtual? Do you feel like there was um, a bit of a discrepancy between what Fordham was anticipating and envisioned for the semester versus the number of professors and students that have elected to stay home, stay online, be fully virtual? I think that uh, Fordham was expecting students to want to return to in-person classes, but I think that they thought it was unlikely that the majority of students would want to return. And I also think that they found it unlikely that professors would want to have all their classes online if they function well, not ideally, but well in a like virtual method. I know that my my assumption was that there's some classes like, I mean, lab classes, um, even though a lot of those will actually be online. So it is interesting. But Classes that require like hands-on labs or dance classes, acting classes, things like that, that are very like, you have to be in person to act is kind of difficult to do it via Zoom. So I think they wanted the hybrid method and to supply options to allow students that may have like a major that they know does not work like that to still be operable. But that being said, there are a lot of those classes that 
professors said that they want to do online, and that's sort of the case. I, th I think that the majority of the fact that it's around 80% of classes at Lincoln Center are going to be online, fully online, not even a hybrid method. And I think that that's probably in part due to students saying that they are good functioning in a hybrid method and professors declaring their courses online because they are caregivers themselves. They can't be in person. They have families. They don't want to travel. They probably traveled during the pandemic to get away from New York City and now going back is going to be difficult. And it's totally up to them to make that decision. So I think that Fordham definitely wanted to put the idea in people's heads that there would be options, but I don't know if they necessarily expected there to be a lot. I think that they sort of said that there would be a good amount of classes online expected the fact that students aren't going to be returning because they talked about making like de-densifying classrooms and those sort of things. And if you will be having an in-person class, our classrooms are already very small and then our class sizes are already very small. So to half that in general, you're going to need a big turnout of students that say they just want to be fully online and to have no option but to be fully online. Yeah, so you touched on it a bit. So there's a lot of crowded spaces on campus. And the last time you were on the show, we talked about how difficult it would be to distance at Lincoln Center, given how we constantly ride cramped elevators. There's cramped lounges and hallways that we all crowd through. What are some of the ways that Fordham is going to implement distancing on campus for students who will be doing things in person or who will at least be on campus in some capacity? I know that for elevators, they capped the number of students in the Lowenstein elevators to six, and then in McMahon, and I believe McKeon as well, it'll be four. And then they also said you can't talk inside of elevators, and you also have to wear your face masks. So they, I guess, are, they are very aware that it's a very crowded, crowded space and with no ventilation in an elevator. And if you're riding it all the way up to the top floor of McMahon or Lowenstein or even McKeon, it's not a lot of room for people to air out you know and so you can't speak in an elevator and you have to wear a mask and only four or six students are allowed to be inside of there at a time so i guess that solves that capacity my only question is people waiting for the elevator how are you going to de-densify the crowds that swarm the elevators when people try to get in that'll be interesting i i know that in addition to that they are they have done hallways, so you can only walk certain directions in each hallway. They're removing the newspaper stands and things around the outside edges of the hallways to make it wider space. And you have to wear your mask at all times. You can't take off your mask unless you're inside of your own personal room. And even if you go off campus, you should wear a mask in New York City. So masks have been proven to work well to prevent the spread. Obviously nothing is 100%. So I, I, my guess is that the, the tighter spaces of Lincoln Center will make things a little bit more difficult, but they are also adding in ventilation to filter the air. I don't know where those ventilators will be. My guess is it's most likely in like the lobbies, which is already a larger space, but it will still be helpful. So little things like that, just to make sure that any kind of exposure you get is a distanced exposure and since the virus is a droplet, it, it doesn't, it's on aerosol. So you walking through it doesn't necessarily affect you. It would have to hit you and some get into your pathway. Like you just mentioned, students are going to have to wear their masks unless they're in their own personal space, which for a lot of students living on campus will be, well, obviously will be their dorms. 
And so what sort of safety measures has Fordham taken to ensure that students that are living as family units in dorms on campus will be safe there? And what sort of distancing guidelines extend into a student's actual dorm room? Fordham hasn't said too much about what you can or cannot do in your own dorm room, but I believe that ResLife will probably be issuing um, regulations to specific like people who are moving on campus to further elaborate on, you know, having discussions with your roommates of, do you feel comfortable with me being around you if I just went out to go get groceries and now I'm back in my dorm? So things like that. It'll have to be big on roommate discussions. I know Fordham has expressed the need to have like a go back for every student to take with them, you know, having water, snacks, uh, a thermometer, anything you might need if you have to quarantine medicine, uh, things like that. Because if you are in your dorm and then suddenly your roommate says, I'm having symptoms and they need to quarantine, well, then you need to quarantine because you were just in contact with them. So you might be able to quarantine in your own room since you guys both were sharing this space, but you need to be aware that now, now your room is under lockdown. You have to have your bag with you. So you're not going to be left in shock without anything that you need. So that is one procedure. I, I believe that a lot of what Fordham is saying is sort of taking, we have the RAM pledge and, and that sort of thing, like the responsibility into your own hands to communicate with your roommates to make sure that you guys are all being safe and that nobody is going to be putting every, anybody else at risk. If students live off campus too, and you may have friends that are off campus that you want to visit, but you have to take the risk of, do you know what your friends off campus are doing? Because they're not under the exact same guidelines that Fordham is under inside of this building. So visiting them and then coming back, you will have to do a vital check and um, pass your screening. But that only goes so far because symptoms can be anywhere from 10 to 14 days. Yeah, definitely. And then we've spoken a lot about the on-campus experience. I think it's also important to talk about the online experience for students who may not be coming back to campus or even students who maybe students who are on campus and who are doing mostly online stuff too. So there are obviously many students who aren't coming back, even those that are deferring to next semester or even the next academic year. Have you heard anything specific about the online course experience for students who will be doing things online? either from professors or even clubs that are doing things to facilitate an online experience? I do know that the Dina Ruggiosh has expressed that this will not be the same online learning that was in the spring. So when you have your online course, it'll be either a synchronous learning and asynchronous learning. It's entirely up to the professor what it will look like, but there will be a lot like it's like a revamp of technology, I guess you could say, to, for professors to use in order to administer classes. I think a lot of classes used like Zoom and that was sort of the preferred method, but they're experimenting with a few other programs and softwares that will allow students to have a different way of learning, I guess, than just like you're sitting in front of a Zoom computer and your professor's showing you their screen and you're listening to them. And some classes may not be operating like that. It, it might be the way the professor knows how to do it. But there's been a lot of new tools and education gone into professors and faculty. And at the beginning of the, uh, the summer, faculty were made pretty aware that they need to be working on putting their classes online and developing hybrid methods as well. So professors 
presumptuously have been developing courses this entire summer. They've been working on putting their classes online and figuring out exactly how to do it. And they've been reading all of our surveys to figure out what works for students. And, you know, is this meeting date even still good for you? Should we do it all asynchronous, like hearing feedback from their students? So I think that because there's been a lot more foresight gone into this, it's not an emergency transition yet. So there's been a lot of foresight and planning. So that way professors can at least have a basis and a groundwork of what they think their class will be. And obviously, as they get feedback from students, they'll have to adjust. But technology-wise, it's supposed to be improved. And planning-wise, it's supposed to be improved and more smooth. So I think students online um, overall will have a better experience in the spring. But that being said, it's it's part of the college experience is being at college and getting to interact with your professors in person and going to office hours and everything like that. Having an in-person experience and being to take advantage of the facilities and the environment that, you know, Fordham offers is a totally different thing than just educating students, you know, online. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. And it's definitely been difficult for students that have chosen to go online. And we all had a difficult time, I think, last semester for the last half when we were home. But you've given us a lot of really great and clear information. We really appreciate that. And just before we let you go, is there anything else that you think is important for students to hear before the semester starts or information that maybe shaped your own decision for the semester and how you're going to take classes and interact with Fordham this fall? I think that being online, I've decided to stay um, in my home and that I'll be taking classes fully online. Um, And it was mainly a financial decision for me. I just sort of weighed the options and said, this makes sense for me and my family. But I think that, you know, no matter if you're in person, if you're hybrid, if you're fully online, this semester is going to be very different just for all students as a whole everywhere. Um, And that's just because everything has changed, essentially. But I think that your college experience, the student makes the experience. The college doesn't form the student. Um, And while the college does have a responsibility to provide students with an education and a foundation and learning and a good experience, I think that it's a part of the student's responsibility to take advantage of everything that the college has to offer. So that being said, like if you're in person, then go do everything that is available to you there safely, obviously. If you're on hybrid, do you can still do what you want to do. And if you're fully online sitting from your house or your apartment or wherever, you can still reach out to clubs and reach out to other students and professors and try to take advantage of your education as a whole. And you might have more flexibility and you can take up other hobbies or jobs or things that you maybe wanted to do, but now you, you have more freedom to do. So, so yeah, I think that you make your own experience and I think that you shouldn't be afraid to reach out and and search for opportunities that you have wherever you are. Katrina, it's always great to have you on. Thanks so much for the time to hop on and chat with us. We appreciate you keeping us and our listeners up to date on the latest coronavirus and reopening related news. Please take care. Hey, everybody. Uh, We think it would be worthwhile to take a sec 
and just mention what our plans are for the podcast this semester, what our personal plans are, whether or not we're going to be on campus or doing virtual work. So, okay, how's it going? How are you feeling in this pandemic? I'm doing great. As for my plans, just because I'm close to the city and it's still accessible to me, but all my classes have gone online, I'm going to be doing the semester virtually from home. So I will not be on campus, sadly. We've been taking some time to figure out what that means for the production of the podcast. Obviously, we've both been doing this virtually, recording virtually, and having our guests on that way as well. I'm excited to have you be able to be in the studio and then also sort out our equipment so it's not just us using our sort of makeshift versions of microphones and recording equipment and that sort of thing and increase the quality of the sound of the podcast. We are lucky to have very cool and flexible guests like Katrina. She did amazing. It's always great to hear from her. Hopefully I can get the microphones and try and make the transition as seamless as possible and represent the many Fordham students that will also be home this semester. I, like you said, I'm going to be on campus for this semester. I do have all online classes like we talked about in the interview. But I am going to be in the city, and then I'll be on campus to be able to do retrospect things. And then we'll have equipment and all those things, and we'll work on how we can get equipment to you and up that production quality, up that sound quality at least. Absolutely. We will be going to like a weekly schedule. So more episodes of retrospect are on the way. They sure are. coinciding with issues of the newspaper. Yeah, the Observer's been working hard to adapt to being virtual and... We learned recently that we're not going to be having print papers. And so I'm proud of the work everyone's been doing on the paper to kind of overhaul and adjust to these new times and formats. And I'm also proud of the work we've done on the podcast with that. And I think in the best of the circumstances. And then just to tack on to that, our wonderful producer, Jackie, Jacqueline Pierce, she did decide to defer for the semester, so she will not be able to take up her role as producer from here on out on retrospect, but Corbin and I are working to kind of fill in her shoes as best we can for now, and we'll be looking to fill that position and get someone else on board, but we're so grateful for everything that she did for the podcast and for us. And she's incredible, so we definitely wish her the best of luck, and we're very grateful for everything she did for us these last few months. She will definitely be missed. She was a very good person to have around and a good person who did a lot for us and helped us get onto the Observer and get comfortable. So those are just some quick updates that we wanted to share with you guys, kind of clue you in on what was going on with us and the podcast and what to expect from us a little bit this fall. We've loved being your podcast host so far, and it's been a great experience. Wherever any students are, on campus or off campus, we're glad that we can do this podcast and provide interesting content, hopefully, and make the most of the situation that exists right now. This has been Retrospect. Special thanks to Katrina Lambert for coming on the show today. We'd also like to thank Jacqueline Pierce for all her hard work on the show and for helping us transition into our current roles as Retrospect hosts these last few months. Until next time, I'm Kate Galliford. And I'm Corbin Gregg. We'll catch you all next time on Retrospect.